Well, good morning. It's uh, it's great to be back. It's good to be here. You know, last week we, uh, my wife and I, as well as uh, two other elders and their wives, we were out in uh, Denver, Colorado, for their first Sunday morning launch as a new church. Amen. Yeah. Got it. Work. You know, it, it was an awesome experience for us as we were out there. The, the launch team, uh, let's put it this way. When we got there, it took us, uh, it took me about 15 minutes to get from the front doors to the worship center because I kept running into Peoria people who have moved out there, who have sold houses and changed jobs and, and they've got lanyards on and they're doing something for that church as they're launching and you're finding out just how's it going and what's going on and how's the move going and how's the family adjusting and, and then move to the next and how are you, and it was amazing the number of Peoria people we have on site in Denver. I think it's up to like 10 now, 10 or 12 that are, have moved there. Plus you've got Jeff and Kim Schwartz and Traub that are out there. Um, and then a, a significant number of other people that have gone out from this area that are supporting Jeff from uh, the local area that are good friends. That was like the seed team, okay? So this is how church planting works. The seed team was like that 12, 14, to call it kind of number. The next level was to build a leader team around there, a launch team. And they began to work out there. They got it up to about 100 people with God's blessing on it. The launch team was a little bit over 100. And uh, then they hit Sunday morning last week, opened up the doors with a big invite, and uh, they had 230 show for their first service, okay? Yeah. You know, praise be to God, we just have to say it's amazing. Think back this way. 2005, there were three people who said, maybe we should do a Harvest Bible Chapel thing down here in Peoria. Three people got together and were praying, talked with Harvest up north, and uh, five years later, last week, I think we had like a thousand people here, 230 people in Denver, got at work. That's God working, amen? amen? That's what we're all about. When we say, let's do some church planting, that's what we're talking about. When we say, let's watch God's hand move, that's what we're talking about. You know, last week, uh, Jeff shared a story, and it just, it's a very fitting story to open with for this service, so I'll use it, okay? <laughs> so, there was a son. He, uh, he had a father that he wasn't getting along all that well with, and he made some decisions as a young adult to take off. He went, and he basically never talked to his dad. He distanced himself. He lived in a way that was not honoring to his father. It wasn't honoring to the way he had been up, uh, raised up. It, it really, in all respects, he knew he wasn't in the right spot, but it felt good to him. So he was doing it. His dad was very disappointed, very hurt. The small town where they lived, a little bit disappointed and hurt. And there was a lot of shame that his father was feeling in it. And, you know, in the midst of that hurt and in the midst of that pain, the son started hitting rock bottom. You know how it happens. You get out, you get on your own, you start making some mistakes, and God uses those tough spots. And the son, in hitting rock bottom, decided maybe, just maybe, dad would want to talk to me a little bit. And so he got on a train, and on his way back towards home, he sent a message ahead that said, hey, I'm coming into town on the train. If you want to talk, Put a white sheet out in front of the house and I'll see it from the train station and I'll know I can come on in and we can chat a little bit. And, and um, if you don't, well, then don't put the sheet out and I'll just stay on the train and keep on going by. 
You can only imagine the nerves of the son as he's going on this train and he hasn't heard and he's chugging up through the mountains and up around the turns and and as he begins to come around the bend towards home, he doesn't just see one sheet. He sees the whole town put sheets out saying, come, come home. It's time to talk. Whatever happened, let's embrace and let's move together forward. You know, that's the kind of God we serve. A God whose arms are so open wide that no matter where we've been and no matter what we've been going through, no matter what we've done as we've walked away, when we come back, his arms are open wide saying, just come. Come and come quickly. Let's do life together. As we start today, looking at this passage, we've got to start there. We've got to start with, What's God doing in your life? Think about it for just a second, right here and right now. What's God doing in your life? Where's the white sheet been thrown out for you? What kind of arms open wide God have you experienced? Get ready, because Abram experienced that same God. We're in a series called Faith Walk. It's how do I go on this adventure of life partnering with God and Abram is going to be our example. And as we walk through Genesis 12 to 17, watching him in his faith walk, today, Abram is looking back and celebrating that arms open wide God. That's where we're at. So how do I celebrate a God who has delivered me? How do I celebrate a God who is sacrificing for me? This arms open wide God, what can I do in my life to honor him? That's where we're going today. Genesis 14, verses 17 through 24. Turn there if you will. And the ushers are coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. So just raise your hand. We'll get one to you if you need one, okay? Just raise your hands. They'll get one to you. Genesis 14, 17 to 24. I'm just going to start by reading here. Verse 17. After his, Abram's return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. How do we respond to this God who lavishes upon us? First point, first step, give glory to God with both praise and first fruits. Give glory to God with both praise and first fruits. Check this out. If you go back to verse 17, it just starts out. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, remember two weeks ago we were looking at this, there was this international war taking place, right? And these four kings from afar were kind of ticked off that the local kings weren't bending underneath their authority anymore. So those four kings came in and said, we'll wage war with anyone, anywhere, anytime. You will get underneath. Those four kings took Lot, Abram's nephew, captive. And they ended up heading back home. And as they were heading away, Abram and his 318 guys and a couple of allied friends rallied together and went after him 240 miles north before they caught up with them and there they did some battle by night 
with some strategy and with the hand of God. And they came away, 318 guys and some assistants, they came away victors over four nations and four kings. And they're coming home with all the stuff and all the people. That's what it means when it says, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer. Can you imagine as you're walking ahead of this and you're hearing the clanking and the noise and the mooing and the whatever other sounds these animals are making and the people chattering and the buzz and the energy of we were almost prisoners of war and we've been saved and and Abram's walking out ahead of it saying my God has provided and he is unbelievable and I'm telling you he said that he was going to bless and like take a look can you imagine and that's what Abraham's going through in that moment. It says that then he was met by two kings. This is where the literature gets very rich, okay? This is some strong literary analogy going on, but it's also a story of history. And at the same, So he's met by two kings. Here it says, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, Sodom, and then the king of Salem, Melchizedek, went out to meet him. Just so you know, the word Sodom means burning, well-named because in a few short years, Sodom will be rained down on by some nasty burning stuff. And we end up with the town being appropriately named by God ahead of time. The king of the burning place, the king of the place that's going to be punished, comes out to meet him. But Melchizedek also comes out, the king of Salem. Salem means peace. The king from the land of peace came out to meet him, and the king from the land of burning came out to meet him. The king's name from the land of peace is Melchizedek, which in the Hebrew means the king of righteousness. So the king of righteousness from the land of peace came out to meet Abram on the way home. And it says here that Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Bread and wine. He came delivering something. He came, the king of righteousness, from the land of peace with bread and wine. Are you hearing it? This is my body broken for you, and, and this is my cup of blood shed for you, right? This is an unbelievable type or pointing forward to Jesus Christ and his interaction with us. This is a spot in time where we are seeing the foreshadowing of all that God will do. You're like... Oh, come on, Tim. Your literary stretch is a little big. Really? Okay. Turn with me. Well, don't turn there. Let's just do it this way. Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4. An unbelievable moment of quote. Melchizedek somehow made the big time. He didn't just get quoted in Genesis 14. He gets now stated in Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, in the midst of the discussion of who is this great Jesus, this great Messiah that will come, and it says, the Lord, Yahweh, capital O, L-O-R-D, right? The whole capped. Yahweh said to my Lord, right? So we're having this discussion about who Jesus Christ is. And in those first four verses, it says that he's from the order of Melchizedek. You know, the king of righteousness from the land of peace who comes bringing bread and wine. The literary analogy now being carried forward as a type. And then it gets quoted again in Hebrews chapter 1 and then in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. This is a monstrous passage. We can't read this passage and go, I don't know, he was coming home and he did something, blah, 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 move on. Okay? This is a passage that gets quoted in four or five different sections of Scripture. 
as a monumental understanding of Jesus Christ and an unbelievable understanding of how we should be responding to this Jesus Christ as he comes to us. That's what's going on here. This is a power passage about the king of righteousness and his sacrifice for us. Okay. What does Melchizedek do when he gets there? This king of righteousness from the land of peace. Verse 19, it says, And he blessed him, Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. What does he do? He launches some serious praise time. That's what he does. He says, let's just consider all that's been happening here. And and let's just praise God for what's going on. Let's lift his name up. He has delivered you. He has blessed you and provided for you. There is unbelievable stuff going on in your life. And God's hand is at the source of it. Praise be to God. All too often when we go through life, we forget to do that little step. And as we're running through life and things are happening, and often we even recognize the good things and we say things like, oh, cool. Or, wow, that was great. Or, wasn't it neat when... And we just are sort of reflecting on the situation. But what about the God behind the situation? How often do we stop and literally say, praise be to God. May his name be lifted up in my life, in my words, in my actions, in my whole being. May he be praised. He needs to be lifted up. Here's my request to you. Take a moment here right now and just think, what's God been doing in my life? What things has he been doing and moving in? Where has his hand been seen? How has God been mighty in my life? Just take a minute, think about it. A little silence. Make sure you get it, all right? You got some of the, this is where God's been working? Okay. Here's our job. We've got to be able to say, praise be to God. Try it with me. You ready? Praise be to God. I'm talking like lift the roof off style. Praise be to God. What's he been doing in your life? Lift his name up. Praise be to God. He has made moves in my life. He has touched. He has changed. And what do we say? Praise be to God. If we don't do that, we're missing it. If we don't get him lifted up, strike one, right? Let's get him shown off. Whether we're saying it, whether we're living it, whether we're writing it, we say, praise be to God. That's the first step in being able to say, Lord, I want you to be glorified in my life. We need to lift him up every day. In every way, be watching for his hand at work in your life. And as he works, and as we see him touch, as we see him change or shape or lead, as we see him sometimes even leave us in a tough spot where we need to learn to remain under and grow, and we begin to adjust because of that, we say, praise be to God. He's at work in my life. And then our second step, it says... And Abram gave him a tenth 
of everything. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This word, like in the King James, tithe. Uh Uh-oh, we're in the tithe talk, right? It's just a part of Genesis 12 to 17. Like if we want to have a healthy faith walk, this is part of it. God, what are you doing and how can I be celebrating you? Tithe. You know, it's a word that's often been misused. It's a concept that's often been mishandled. So let's handle it well today, all right? So tithe, let's talk about it a little bit. Old Testament view first, all right? So Old Testament, the view of the tithe. First of all, just a couple of things you might want to write down about the tithe. It's first fruits, not last fruits, okay? It's not everything I've received this year has been awesome and I'm spending and we're budgeting and we're living and whatever's there at the end of the year, we'll give some of that to God. That's last fruit giving. It's, Lord, I'm amazed with how you provide for me and with what's come in. And this week, because the check has come in, some is going to you. Praise be to God. First fruits giving. I'm amazed and in awe. My arms are open wide because it's mirroring the God whose arms are open wide. I'm not saying mine. I'm saying you're unbelievable. That's our step. First step is it's first fruit giving, not last fruit giving. Okay, one thing you may not know, tithe. Did you know there's three tithes in the Old Testament that are mentioned? Three different times where tithing is mentioned. And uh, it's kind of important that we grasp this, all right? So the first tithe, it's called the Levitical tithe. It's in Leviticus, which makes it handy that it's called the Levitical tithe. It's uh, Leviticus 27.30. And uh, it's basically meant to be given 10%, right? That's what the word tithe means, one-tenth. 10% is given to the priests in this Old Testament law under Moses, given to the priests in order to run the temple, in order to manage the needs of the priests because they're not doing any farming or anything like that. So it's given to help care for them. It's given for offerings and pieces like that. It's basically there for the running of the day-to-day of that which goes vertical to God, okay? Not unlike what you talk about today in giving to the church, that Levitical element, okay? But there's another tithe that's talked about. It's in Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 27. It's called the festival tithe. This is a 10% that's given. It's held aside basically. And it's for three different feasts that go on throughout the year. And it's basically meant to be, well, it's meant to be for a party. It's meant to be celebrate, live life richly. God literally saying, all right, I want to be clear in the midst of my laws and mandates, you are mandated to have fun. That's God. That's our rich God. And 10%, I want you to set aside and you will be coming together for feasts in the middle of these week-long parties of drinking and, and, and eating and celebrating together. You'll be reflecting on what God is doing in your life and you're going to say, praise be to God. Look at all he's doing and mandated tithe. It's the festival tithe. Well, here's the catch. In America, most of us are pretty good at the festival piece, Right? Like, I got that one down. I'm kind of, I'm lavishing on that one. I'm up to the 25% range on that one, right? That's the problem is we get a little imbalance in what we're going after. But So there's the Levitical tithe, there's the festival tithe, and then there's a third tithe that's talked about, which is every third year, 10% given for uh, the fatherless and the needy and the, and the poor and in any ways they can go about caring for those that need some financial care. It's a benevolence style tithe, okay? So three different types of giving going on in the Old Testament. Now remember, that's under law, that's Moses. So hundreds of years before Moses, we had Abram, 
and he's giving a tenth. And even Jacob, and he followed his father's suit and gave a tenth. So there's this concept of giving to God, arms open wide, reflecting the giving God that gives to us, may we give back to you, right? Why? Well, notice it says, when he's praising him, possessor of heaven and earth. You own everything. Heaven and earth. I, well, I'm just a manager. So my arms are open wide saying, thanks for entrusting me. And here's what I'm doing. This is the response, kind of in the Old Testament view of tithing, all right? So let's go ahead to go to New Testament. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians nine. Good to hear the pages turning. Okay. Let me just give you a quick summary. Chapters eight and nine here. All right. So here we go. Chapter eight starts out. Make sure that your giving is going to the church for the caring of the needs there. A little bit more than that, it says, make sure that it's in proportion. Kind of this equal sacrifice, but not equal giving, okay? It's not like everybody's required to give X amount of dollars to the dime. And no, it's more of a, hey, whatever God's been lavishing and blessing you with, give proportionately back, all right? So give proportionately, equal sacrifice, not equal giving. And then it talks about giving from first fruits, giving with a cheerful heart is where we get to in chapter 9. And this is a really big piece. Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, the point is this. He's been talking about giving and caring for needs and some of the needs he can care for within the body and giving from outside the body. And verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Don't misquote that. What that does not say is give 10 bucks, get 20 bucks back. Don't misquote that. That really is out there. Turn on your TVs and listen for a little bit. There's some junk being sold on these verses. That's really a sad statement. This is about a spiritual interaction with our almighty God. This is about an awareness of him at work touching your life in so many ways that you can't help but not say mine and you start saying ours. You own it. I'm a manager. What do you want done, God? May I just lavish out? And he says the rewards of that are unbelievable. The maturing and the growing and the benefiting spiritually and maybe physically. It's not a guarantee of the physical. It's a guarantee of a tight relationship with him. Being blown away with who he is as you relate to him as he touches your life. It's about a heart on fire for him. Okay. My little soapbox. I'll get off it now. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is the crux of New Testament statement. Make sure your heart is cheerfully aligned with him. Make sure that you're in a spot where you are so aware, praising him for what he's doing. I'm telling you, it has to start with a recognition of God at work in your life. And as you see him moving and working in your life, you open your arms up wide to begin to praise. And then holding on to stuff just seems ridiculous in comparison. And you start saying, Lord, how can I bless you as you have blessed me? I just want to lavish it back upon you. That's the cheerful giving heart. Okay, this is an opportunity for our hearts to go hard after him. So 
Come on, Tim, just cut it down to brass tacks. What should I be giving? Yeah, it really isn't as easy as just giving a percent. I mean, let's say it this way. Well, Abram had a chance to choose any number he wanted. And he chose 10%. And then some. And then the law came into place and there were these groups of 10%. And so if you're looking to start somewhere, seems like a pretty good guidance to be starting looking at that 10%. But I will tell you this. It's about a cheerful heart on fire for him. And this idea of give me the bottom line of what I have to give. I'll sign the check and give it over. And then I'm doing it with gritted teeth and missing the point. Not under compulsion. Please do cheerfully, right? Hear me on this one, okay? A couple statements to make. Just so you know, like, I don't know who gives what in this church. Did you know that? The senior pastor does not know that. Don't want to know that. That's not where I am to be. I'm here to be shepherding and leading the passages of Scripture and where God's taking us as a body. Honestly, that's a bit between you and the Lord. But I want you to know this. It's an opportunity and a privilege for you to be giving that Levitical tithing model into the church today to say, Lord, I'm just blown away with who you are. And just as Abram gave to the Lord through Melchizedek, you'd be giving to the Lord through the church. That's the model. That's how the New and Old Testament tie together. That's what's going on with it, you know? And some of you are going, oh, come on. That's so self-serving. You're a part of the church. You're telling me to give to the church. I'm telling you what Scripture says, and I'm stepping out of the way, okay? I just want to be really clear on it. I want you to have every opportunity possible to drink deep, bountifully re- re- reaping what he's doing for you as you open your arms up wide and say, you, God, are amazing, amazing in all that you do. How can my life reflect that properly? That is doing a biblical sense of what we're seeing here. Okay. So there's a woman who is talking with her family and the blinds that they've got in their house, the vertical blinds are just like they're all messed up. And they need to get them fixed, okay? And so as they're trying to get these things fixed and they're trying to get them worked on, they end up calling and they said, we need you to come over and so, okay, fine. They're at breakfast the next morning. Doorbell rings. The guy's coming over. And uh, she opens up the door and she says, yes. And he says, I'm here for the Venetian blind. And she goes, yeah, we're done giving. And closes the door. <laughs> Did you get it? Okay. Venetian blinds. Okay. But some are hearing, uh-oh, it's another need and I'm done. Like all too often, before we even think we're in the, I'm done giving. And I don't want to. Be careful. Let's just not be caught in the mine, and I won't, and don't. It's more of a, Lord, I'm open wide to where you're at. What do you have going on? What do you want given? I love you, Lord, and I want to reflect that. That's all. That's what this passage is teaching, an amazing awareness of God at work in your life, and how can you go after that passionately, reflecting it with all you do. Okay. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. Let's go to the second point, though. So the first is be ready with praise and be ready with first fruits. Second, as a manager, not an owner, refuse the draw of the world towards selfishness. Refuse the draw of the world towards selfishness. Check this out. Now we're back to this high literary element, all right? So in verse 21, it says, And the king of Sodom, you know, the land of burning, said to Abram, give me the persons, but take goods for yourself. In other words, look, 
I didn't do anything in the war. Give me my people back. I guess I'll at least let you take the stuff. My focus is on me and you. I'll take and you take. We'll do a little barter here. The king of the burning land of selfishness. Bartering with Abram in the midst of having done nothing but run and lose his men. Abram says in verse 22, But Abram said to the king of Sodom, Listen to this carefully. I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten. And the share of the men who went with me, let Aner and Eshcol and Mamre take their share. Abram says simply this, I have raised my hand to the Most High. Are you hearing it? Have you ever seen people as we're worshiping in here and they raise their hand? Like it's this moment of saying, God, you're in charge in my life and I'm giving you everything. I'm coming before you and whatever you want accomplished, may you take over and he's raising his hand before God Almighty. And his promise in the midst of that prayer time as he's moved by God who's promised him and said, I will bless upon you. He says, fine, I'll take nothing from anyone. As I go after Lot, Lord, may this be so pure in motive. It's not about the stuff. It's just about saving Lot. Let's go after that. I don't care about the benefits and the profits. Let's do that. That was his promise. That was his interaction with God Almighty. The call from the king to blow that off was to make it all about you and lavish for self. You took the risk. Get the reward. Come on, you can do it. Got to tell you, a lot of times the wisdom of the world, the common sense of the world will often cause us to walk right past what God is trying to do in our lives. Be careful. If it makes really good sense to someone who doesn't get who Jesus Christ is, look out. (laughs) What does that say? We need to take into account the almighty, giving, lavishing Father and all that he does for us with arms open wide as he constantly says, come back. I don't care what state you're in. It's time to get clean with me. Let's go after this relationship. I love you with all I have. I want to pour out to you with all I've got. That God, that's the God we need to be thinking of when we decide how I'm going to respond. Abram had done a great job of hands lifted high, responding. You know, 1 John 2.15 says, Don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Right? It's this idea of don't hold down tight like you're crimping onto it saying mine, but open up and just say, God, you're an open-armed God. May I reflect that in my life. That's who I want to be. Okay. So let's kind of put it all together here. We've got this idea of praising and giving, of not being distracted by the things of the world. How do I go about doing that? I might be in a spot where I am not giving anything. I'm not even sure how I begin to go after that. Here's a few steps of how you can get your whole self engaged in first fruits giving. Okay? A couple of steps. First, heart. Let's get our heart totally involved in this thing. How do we do it? 
Recognize that he's the owner and you're the manager. It's Abram's quote, right? You are the possessor of all things. You are in charge of the universe. This is all yours. And you've chosen to give a sliver to me right here to be entrusted with. Lord, may I manage it well. How do we get our heart in line? We see ourselves as managers and him as owner. And the second step is worship him passionately with all you've got. Remember, we talk about the word worship. It's meaning knowing and adoring him. Learn about him. Just be excited about him. Every little thing you learn, keep stating it back to him, praising his name, lifting him up. May God be glorified in the midst. He is amazing as you worship him and as you consider him always the one in charge. That is how you end up seeing life change, heart change, okay? Second, not just heart, but head. How do I start getting my head in this game? A couple thoughts. Identify any spending Maybe you need to be reducing. What are some things we're going after that we really shouldn't be? What are some things we're doing that is putting us into the 25% spend on the fun domain and the 0% spend on the giving to the Lord domain? Maybe there's some things to adjust there. And more than just some of the spending, maybe there's some possessions. Are there some things you've got that are distractionary? Are there some things you have that maybe it just comes with a giant debt associated with it that's a a bottleneck to you as well? Maybe there's some things that need to be let go of. Maybe there's not. Don't get me wrong. This is not a message of minimalistic living. Uh, Live in poverty. That's what God's deep. That's not what it says. It says give proportionately out of what he's entrusted you with. And make sure that as you live proportionately and you give proportionately that you worship fully. With all you've got. That's all. It's, Lord, may my head be engaged. Help me to identify some spending or some possessions that I should be letting go of. Now I've got my heart getting on fire for him. I've got my head getting in line with some things I need to let go of. Time to get the will engaged. It's just time to start giving. Time to start giving now. Lord, I'm ready to let it go. I'm done saying mine. It's time to start saying yours. And what would you have this servant do? That's where we need to be. Abram's giving us an unbelievable model of coming home with a victory and massive possessions and how you can lavish upon the Lord in the midst of your victories in everyday life. You know, I wrote it down this way. The world's game. It's the game of spoons. You ever play that game? You know what I'm talking about? You're, you're handing the cards around and, and when you finally get four of a kind that match you reach out and you kind of slyly grab a spoon right and you try to pull it back where nobody notices but then somebody notices you took a spoon and everybody goes diving at the rest of the spoons and there's one less spoon than there are people and so there's one person at the end with nothing right right and then you go you're out and that person has to go sit on the side and then you take another spoon and you throw it away and now there's one less spoon in people and you play again and you play again. And the winner is the one at the end with the spoon, right? That's the world's game. Mine. And I'll grab and I'll take. And if you take, then I take. And, and that's what it's all about. And so when the king of Sodom walks up, he walks up and he says, I'll take this and you take that, right? It, it's the game of spoons. What's Jesus saying? Jesus' words. I just wrote these down. A way of thinking about it. Jesus said, you chose to whip me. I chose to heal. 
You chose to mock me. I chose to encourage and teach. You chose to reject. I chose to embrace. You chose to nail me to a cross and I chose to use that very shed blood to forgive you. I choose to love you with all I've got. That's our God with his arms open wide. Don't get caught playing the game of spoons in this world. Get caught saying, Lord, may I reflect you and your love and your sacrifice and your openness with all I have. That is how to honor our God in the midst of this world. Let's pray.